We who are about to die salute you. Welcome to the Double Digits. That's right, it is the 10th Moratory Monday, where Chris and Chris are going to break down issue 10. That was Strikeforce Moratory, the uh, underrated and underappreciated Marvel comic from the mid to late 1980s. How you doing this week, Chris? Well, it's the price we gotta pay, and all the games we gotta play. I'm doing well, sir. I'm that glad. so familiar. I know, so I know. It's it's it, that theme song. I don't know. What, where did that come from? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to <laughs> yes, that in we will. just a little while here because we did get a, a nice amount of feedback on our last episode where we talked about mm-hmm. a, a issue number nine. And I, I don't know about you, but I had a damn good time doing it because it was a, a very oh. wacky, wacky episode. That was a game changer. That was one for the ages, <laughs> Mr. Sheehan. Oh, man. All the, all the comic book fun and then the candy taste test. It was a... Most 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 podcasts as they mature, they get less and less interesting. I feel that we're we're <laughs> catching we're we got momentum, brother. We're more excited for every episode moving forward. And boy, do we got one we got one hot hot out of the bag. Issue oh, ten. Yeah. Well, it's it's a bag of something in it. Um, now uh, <laughs> yes, let's let's hop right into our feedback before we start here. Our first uh, first piece comes from Jeremy Dore. And he says, uh, finally caught up with Moratorium Mondays, and I have some observations. He says that he believed that the Undiscovered Country title, which is issue number nine's title, he thinks that that refers to a possible cure for the process. Uh, also, the fact that the Black Watch is still alive and perhaps even Lewis, you know, deciding to take the deal. Huh. Which, I mean, that's as, a, that's as good a theory as any. I mean, that's uh, it sounds good to me. I, I can uh, I can co-sign that one. Uh, another point he brings up, he says... Uh, I thought that having one primary story with a couple of subplots was common during Jim Shooter's tenure as editor-in-chief. And he says he can remember the titles like Incredible Hulk or, of course, the X-Men having the same sort of thing. And uh, that's something we were talking about last time out where, you know, it's you have the one main overarching story and then you have all these little subplots just bubbling away and then they wait for their perfect opportunity to finally percolate and become, you know, the main story. So it's a... Uh, I, I I think that uh, we would refer to this as just comics done right. Oh, exactly. Okay. And we're we're about, and this is eighty seven right now, so we're on the dawn of writing going down the toilet bowl in the nineties. <laughs> so I mean, this, this yeah. is like the last hurrah for great writing right here. Yeah, where like they're actually being written to be consumed monthly rather than in six issue bursts where you could buy volume three of a trade paperback collection and not need to worry about anything else because nothing else matters. So, uh, or McFarlane's Spider-Man number one, which is all doom, 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 doom. Literally, hey, that's literally hey, the narrative you know, in the book. You you read that because you want to rise above it all, and <laughs> uh, and because his web lines are advantageous. You well, learn that that those web lines are advantageous several times throughout that issue, so that's a good thing. I think um, we should read this entire issue with dooms. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> doom. 
it, without putting the cart ahead of the horse here, it might make the story a little bit more interesting. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Uh, the last thing from Jeremy, he says, uh, what is the name of the song at the start of the show? Because he's had the chorus in his head for days. And what song is that, Mr. Bailey? Oh, that is The Price by Twisted Sister from the album Stay Hungry. And guess <laughs> what? So my parents were going through this phase where they were trying to introduce. Basically, they were trying to get me out of my bedroom. Okay. So they wanted they wanted me to fit in with the crew. So I had you know I had the coke bottle glasses and I had the hockey hair parting down the middle. So you know <laughs> ladies were not you know in my foresight. So like I guess Derek my, Wheeler, right? Yeah. So I guess my parents <laughs> thought yes, exactly like Derek <laughs> Wheeler. I had my Degrassi vibe going on. Thank you, sir. I just didn't have the zit remedy to back me up. Everybody wants something. They'll take your money. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never give up. <laughs> but but anyway, they decided that they were going to buy me records, and somehow that was going to make me instantly cooler. So the selections that I had, my first three records, and, and forgive the uh, the extended narrative here, uh, my first three records were Michael Jackson Thriller, which was damn cool at the time. Say what okay. you want. Sure. I had uh, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm which was also Can't Miss. And then I had Canadian star Brian Adams with Reckless, which was Summer of 69, Heaven, and all that stuff. So, gotcha. you know, it was pretty cool. But then for Christmas, they, somehow they didn't read the parental, parental advisory <laughs> warning, and I ended up with D. Snyder crouched down in a beaten-up apartment clutching a bone of meat with Stay Hungry. <laughs> and that, that featured the song, We're Not Gonna Take It, of course, which sure. was amazing, but... It was the price that actually won me over. I was like, man, this song is awesome. And when you brought that up as the theme song for this show, I was like, yes, sir, that's the one. Uh, yeah, because we actually struggled. I mean, we had we had put together like a whole list of things that could be in the uh, in the in the opening credits or the opening theme song. And oh man, that's like one of the hardest parts of doing a show is because uh, I mean that's your first impression. Uh, you know, do, you'll you'll come to us where we stammer and, and mispronounce everything, but I mean. <laughs> the, the song is what, you know, that'll, that's what introduces the, the, the whole concept. And, uh, man, we had a whole bunch of stuff. We tried, I tried, uh, what was it, uh, that David Bowie, Ashes to Ashes. Uh, why, why, why do I feel, and this may be completely wrong, and we'll have to look back at our notes for this. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel that we had Gangster's Paradise in there somewhere <laughs> by, by, <laughs> by Coolio? I don't, I don't know why. We might have. We had a lot anything. of weird stuff in there. I mean, maybe, like maybe that's just me. We had like mishmashes of like the Undertaker's Gong in there. We had all <laughs> sorts of like we tried doing like weird remixes, and I don't think either of us are talented enough musically to make that happen. So it's yeah, just you know, really stay bad. hungry. The price it was. <laughs> yeah, we we did put the little we did put the little quote in the beginning with the we we who are about to die. That was, that was uh, okay, but. uh you know, you mentioned like your 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 mom making you cool by introducing you to music, and I have a very similar story. Uh, you know, like what was it like Columbia House where you pay like a penny and you get like ten cassettes? But then, but then like they listen, got you. Listen, I'm I'm on a witness protection program from Columbia House. That's all I'm saying. Please, please <laughs> don't bring them up. The hook for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's like you need to buy five more albums, but they're all going to be $130 each. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I no, I, I better not, better not incriminate myself on, on live podcast. All I will say was that somewhere, somewhere, someone is looking for Chris Bailey for their one cent for for my stash. You tape the you tape the penny to the paper and you send it in. <laughs> and, and I can remember like the ones that I that were picked out for me was uh 
was Dire Straits, the one that had Money for Nothing on it? Yes, absolutely. Brothers in Arms. That's the one. Um, Brian Adams, uh, as you mentioned, the one with the uh, with the theme from Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves. Waking Up the Neighbors. That's the one. That's the one. And a DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince album that had uh, that Greatest had uh, parents just don't understand on it. Oh, so good. Yeah. All <laughs> good selections, my friend. Please. And, and I instantly became cooler, just like you. So it worked. Did you uh, uh, did you pay the twenty four dollars and ninety nine cents per uh, CD afterwards? That uh, that is between my mother and her credit <laughs> crediting uh, whoever's you know <laughs> the collection agency. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> shh, shh. <laughs> Nobody ran us out. Yes. So now now you all know the the opening song. I wonder if anybody can understand uh, or or can see the significance of the song we have at the end of the show. Hmm. That's a that's a that's a one from us to you guys to see if uh, you guys can tell us why that song that we have at the end of the show is significant to this that's, project. That, that's Chris's cheap ploy to get you to listen to the very end. You could just slide your finger all the way over. We already <laughs> have the download. Don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to listen all the way through, people. All the way through because uh, you know the phrase that pays is 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 all throughout. So it's all good. <laughs> Um, now that that wraps up uh, Jeremy's missive. Uh, we have one from our good friend uh, Green Lantern HG, and he says, "Great episode, guys! Uh, back just in time to make Mondays better, and we're going to be doing that this week too, hopefully." And he says, uh, "But uh, well, it's going just a bit too much with this belly button cleavage." And uh, with this tweet, he included a picture of Big Robert in his diaper, which uh, no no adult male has ever looked attractive in an adult diaper. I'm just saying. <laughs> You know, everybody has their fetishes. I mean, we're not going to shame anybody, but uh, this is a very unflattering uh, uh, panel with Big Robert yes. in his uh, in his diaper. Uh, now, he, uh, GLHG continues with, uh, and it's amazing. After nine episodes, we finally get an answer about Smarties versus M and M's. But I don't want Smarties gone from the show. So how about Canadian Smarties versus, and this blew my mind, UK Smarties? Sacrilege! What are what of these UK smarties? Someone, <laughs> needs to, someone needs to tell me of these UK smarties. I have no idea. That is very very interesting. But uh, no, we we really enjoyed doing that. I, I and uh, you know I, I'm I'm open to more sort of a uh, weird food challenges and we can. Do you compare. know Do you know what they have here right now? They have. And this is, we're recording this of course in December, which mm-hmm. is Christmas season. So they have holiday smarties. Which are smaller, okay. more bite-sized Smarties, but yet still Smarties. How about that? Oh, you, my friend. I, you know what? I, you know what I did notice after after an entire taste test and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. My son still had some Halloween candy kicking around in a bag, and they had both M and M's and Smarties in there. So I was like, okay. hmm, I'm just going to do a side by side. And I did <laughs> notice that Smarties look muted in color. So color wise, I'm going to give M and M's the Duke because they okay. use in Canada. They use in Canada. Like almost like a vegetable coloring instead of like artificial color, gotcha. which I guess is protecting our kids from disease and disaster. But uh, they, yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> but but they they look very muted in color, which uh, I don't know. Back in the day, they weren't muted though. It was pure cancer for us kids back in the day. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> yeah, you had those like weird like uh, urban myths, like like all throughout the 70s they had the red M and M's, but then they went away. 
And people yeah, are oh like, yeah. it's like you could grind those up and snort them and it's like cocaine or <laughs> like the stupidest crap about what why they pulled the red the red M&Ms out. It's like, oh, they're poison. Oh, they're like they're like DDT. It's, like, <laughs> it's just crazy. I'll take the risk, people. I'll take the risk. Yes, because you save the red ones for last. So it's a, <laughs> eat them all at once. No, <laughs> you suck them very slowly or stick them up. No, never mind. <laughs> so thank you for your for your letter there, uh, GLHG. Uh, now, our last one is from our pal, Joe Cabrera. Yeah, and, uh, boy. And he, and he kind of came at us sideways here. He started with, uh, you guys don't you guys don't like the Simonson run on Thor? <laughs> <laughs> now, let's see. How do I report a Twitter abu- account abuse? And uh I'll let you go first. I think Twitter even agrees with us. That's what, <laughs> that's what I would say. You can report it, and Twitter will just write back, no, Joe, it's true, bro. Simonson sucks. <laughs> I did, Listen, I'm, I'm, I'll be, I'll, I'll quantify my statement here. I just don't want to come off as, oh, Simonson sucks and all this stuff. So I think back in the day, I was a, I was like a style guide type person. You know what I mean? I was, sure. I was heavy into the you know, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez uh, version of the DC universe. And, you know, it's the same thing for uh, same thing for Marvel. I mean, Perez and Byrne. I mean, these guys were, you know, these guys were my, yeah, they were my definitive style. So when people came in and they were all stylish, it, it hit me like a, you know, a bag of such and such. <laughs> so when I, when I saw Simonson, I was just like, man, this is just like somebody drawing on a sketch pad. Like it was really loose and Very full loose. of lines and like no definition in the face. And it was just, just awful. And I've had an issue over the years, even with people like, and you know, you can strike me down dead for these names, but Jack Kirby, Jack mm-hmm. Kirby always struck me funny as a kid. It was always like, my God, will you look at his Superman? It's hideous. <laughs> Horrible. Then there was Keith Giffen, someone that right now that I, you know, I put up on a, a large pedestal because, you know, his Legion work and uh, different things with ambush bug and just certain, certain things that he's done over the years that I really, really dig right now. Sure. But I could not stand that guy's guts back in the day. I thought his work was crap. And of course he took over hex, which is one of my yes. favorite DC comics from the eighties. And that was, who was doing that? Mark Texiera. That was Texiera. Yeah. Yeah. Who is also solid work. I mean, my Certainly. God, that guy could draw the phone book and then you get Giffen who was a whole boy. He looked like he was drawing every character with a straight ruler. Everybody's face was elongated. Everything was blackened out. He went through his noir period. Yeah. And another guy. So another definitive artist for me, if I'm, if I'm thinking about Batman, who do you think that I'm thinking of as, as my favorite Batman artist? Just, just a shot in the dark. Who do you think? Shot in the dark for Batman. Batman. Um, Think it, think it. Bray Fogel. Oh man! If I could reach you, I'd punch you in the mouth, sir. <laughs> Jim Aparo was definitely Jim Aparo. My, How did I forget? I just I just did a story of his on on the blog today. I can't believe I forgot. Love, him. love, love Jim Aparo's work. And it was so long. He was so, he was he was the artist for so long and over the course of so many issues that I just you know I took a liking to his work. And then Norm Brayfogle took over. I didn't know what to think in the 90s. Everything was angular. His head was pointy. Robin disappeared. He was fighting crappy villains. I was just like, oh. And I know people have a lot of love for Norm Bray Fogle, and God bless you people. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that I did like was Norm Bray Fogle's version of the Batmobile. He, This guy could draw the Batmobile in angles that nobody else could, and I really <laughs> appreciated it. But 
I, you know what? I st- to this day I still like Kirby. I like Giffen. I like Bray Fogle. But man, back in the day, I just I just wasn't used to it. I wasn't acclimated to to a looser style. You know what I mean? Sure. Of course, I've grown up over time, of course, and can appreciate yeah, it. But change, yeah. Oh, back then, Chris, I just wanted to tear my books in half. But anyway, <laughs> now, which I mean, was the I... case with that Spider-Man issue? Who drew that? Oh, it was uh, Sinkevich. <laughs> Bill Sinkevich, yes. Ah, garbage, garbage, <laughs> hot garbage. Go no, ahead. I, I have less of a problem with Simonson overall. I just hate Thor. I think oh. Thor is just the worst. I don't, I don't understand why, how anybody could read that and be entertained. Um, I just don't get it at all. It just, uh, it's just far enough removed from like the main Marvel stuff where it's like, to me, it just doesn't matter. And. Uh, and, and I mean, it's just, I mean, whenever you get into like the mythology of stuff, it's just, eh, you know, I, I, I just, I <laughs> it just ain't for me. I agree. Fully agree. <clears throat> and uh, now Joe wraps up with, I can't believe there's an extended Smarties discussion, including a taste test. Now, this is the stuff we stick around for after the comic recaps. <laughs> and, uh, well, we we enjoy that, too. Believe yes. me. Yeah, the back matter is some of the some of the fun funnest stuff of this, and uh, we definitely appreciate you sticking around after the recap, and everybody sticking around after the recap for uh, all the all the what what does Eric Larson call it? The funny book fun, which oh. is redundant. Uh, <laughs> Eric Larson, that's the guy we need to get on the show. Speaking of stylish, Talk about scratchy faces, right? <laughs> I suddenly feel more hairy. I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> Uh, parental That's guidance, parental whatever suggested or something. Uh, it's, not, it's not the 70s anymore, Eric, is all I'm telling you, brother. <laughs> one more thing before we get into this week's issue. We got some recruits, and uh, you've been chronicling their story. And uh, how about you get back into that and catch us up to what they've been up to over the past couple of weeks? Absolutely. So for folks who are brand new to the show, we have a little what's called a membership certificate program where you, as our faithful listeners, can uh, DM us on Twitter. at uh, I'm at Charlton underscore hero. Chris is at Ace Comics. And uh, we actually sign you up and you become an honorary Strikeforce Moratory member. And we will detail your your actual storyline right here on the show. So we have another update so our ongoing storyline we're going to jump right in so when we last saw our recruits we left off in Lockshot, dreamscape and force field they were fleeing the horde now they're inside moratory headquarters and uh, you know there's a big horde invasion happening and they hid themselves in a darkened laboratory now they uncovered that inside the laboratory contains a horrific secret like every single you know hidden laboratory <laughs> there's That's always they a, do. Yeah. yeah there's all it's it's horrific all the time uh <laughs> But someone within Moratory Inc. has been working on some horde-human cross-mutation experiments. So as our new recruits peer inside the laboratory, which is darkened, but they, they manage to illuminate it with Lockshot's eye beams, and they see rows upon rows of cross-mutated uh, species in capsules. Anyway, their, their hiding does not last long as an alarm goes off and it reveals their location within the compound. And our men are just cringing. They're trying to keep, you know, keep silent. <laughs> they can hear the fast pounding feet of the Horde army. I mean, these guys are only two steps away at all times anyway. But <laughs> they're commencing upon the lab, and they rush, to, they rush the door. And they, uh, our team runs to the back of the facility trying to uh, run for cover. They see a door in the back, and hopefully, hopefully, 
you know, that's their escape door. But, of course, with every door, especially in a laboratory, it happens to be password encrypted. So it has one of those wonderful, uh, mm-hmm. you know, door where, yeah. Yeah, where it has to enter the keypad. Now, I don't know how you are with keypads, but I can never, ever enter the proper combination. So I'm that oh, guy. Not. Yeah, I'm the guy on the doorstep for two hours cursing and swearing <laughs> on the password. Same thing happens here. Anyway, the password is encrypted. They have no idea. But, of course, force field generates a little low-level force field over the top of them. Now, just remember, this: these three people, uh, force field, Lockshot, and who else was with them? Dreamscape. Dreamscape. Yeah, so they were they were literally um, just after reviving from death. So they, they actually revived, you know, they're back from the dead. So their powers are, are muted. Oh, I should say flash forward, not Dreamscape. Sorry, that's my, my, my oh. problem there. Because he utilized his time jump to bring them back from death. That's right. So so their powers are muted. So he managed to to create a little low-level force field while they're banging away at the keypad. Now, Horde soldiers are blowing down the door of the laboratory. And, you know, the the three recruits are just desperately trying to get through this. But, you know, the Horde fire is just bombarding bombarding their force field. and And it weakens over time, of course. And with every shot their force field diminishes. The, the Hordian fire just keeps raining down upon them. But finally, the protective barrier just, just gives way. It releases. And force field, you know, his his powers just black out. Now he's scrambling, trying to crack this code like crazy. Lockshot lunges in. Of course, he's blasting, you know, horde troopers with his psionic eye beams. He eliminates literally the first wave of horde soldiers that are, you know, that are creeping upon them. He sees his fellow recruits depowered. And he forces the horde troopers back just in time, just to give them that extra, you know, few valuable seconds to crack the code. The door actually slides open, and it's an elevator that mm. goes down. <laughs> now, now, down never works, because that usually ends up in the garden when you're talking about the uh, <laughs> the moratory yes. uh, facility. But who knows where this one goes? Lockshot waves the men to get to the elevator as he keeps the horde people at bay. Now, he's backed into a corner. He's blasting away at these horde troopers, just trying to buy time for his friends as they're frantically, you know, trying to get down the elevator. Uh, you know, they're yelling for Lockshot to join them, but he's just creating time. So Lockshot actually blasts the Horde Raiders away from the doors. They're trying to pile in as they're getting aboard the elevator, and he just wants them to get to an escape. Uh, he yells at them to leave, uh, but both Force Field and Flash Forward forego their escape. They want to come back, and they want to help their friend. They can't just leave him, just surrounded by Hordesmen. They're grabbing at his legs, and they're grabbing at his arms, and now he's starting to suffer some critical wounds here. So Lockshot actually switches his eye blasts to pulse blasts. And he fires at his own comrades. Now, with the intention of only driving them back into the elevator, uh, he wants to protect them. So, on Skade, they're both inside the unit, and he uses eye blasts to literally blast the doors, uh, blast the the panel, and shut the doors. So he sends his uh, he sends his friends back to safety, of course. Shuts the doors, and he's left by himself. So the last we see of poor Lockshot. He's being overtaken by the enemy legions. You know, his mm-hmm. friends are going down in the elevator, and that's the only thing they see is the door shut. Now, meanwhile, elsewhere, we also meet the other moratory recruits, Dreamscape, Med, uh, and they're in a parallel universe. And they've just encountered uh, – they managed to escape the Hordian, Hordian raiders by actually teleporting. They've, they used a portal to escape, and they found themselves in Soviet Russia. Now – they know that they've got to get the heck out of here because they're right in the middle of a horde um, black watch sort of feud going on here. But they discover that it's a Soviet version. So it's almost like we're in a parallel universe and we see mm-hmm. Splinter Red. 
He's one of our new recruits, and he just got blasted, and he's critically injured <laughs> right away. So as they're on the doorstep ready to enter back into the portal to get out of here, they help this poor Soviet guy, and they just drag him into the portal to safety with them as well. And they end up in the old Hershey Chocolate Factory from hey. old Moratory. So if you've seen a couple issues of uh, of Moratory, especially the first few, we know that the uh, the good old Horde, they love the Hershey Chocolate Factory. They got for a some sweet reason. tooth, yeah. Yeah, they haven't they haven't tried Smarties yet. See, that's they have thing. not. <laughs> now, Med is working on uh, you know Splinter Red. He's trying to nurse his injuries and get him out of danger, and he suddenly backpedals as soon as as soon as Splinter Red comes to. He backpedals. He realizes that hey, he's not in Kansas anymore, and he begins spouting off in Russian. You know, he's cursing him out in Russian. You know, trying to tell him to back off. And all three men just sort of pause and they're taking a look at their surroundings. Uh, Dreamscape clutches his head. He suddenly drops to his knees, and the other two just sort of look at him. Is this the moratory process kicking in here? No. They turn. Someone is in control of his mind, and it happens to be Viking, Harold, who died. So, yes, wait a second here. So our moratory legend, who is assumed dead, is very much alive, and looking a little older, a little scruffier, and he mentions to him, gentlemen, I've been waiting for you. To be continued, sir. Oh, boy, Harold is back. So while we have poor Lockshot sending his people, sending his friends to safety in the elevator and left for death with the horde taking him out, now we see the other three as they're met by a future version of Harold. Hmm. Hmm. I just wonder what his hair looks like now. (laughs) (laughs) that was kind of weird futuristic Uh, yes very futuristic and in his face so how about that that was a uh that was a roller coaster ride and i am looking forward to seeing where this goes and uh certainly um for what we're about to read uh i think what we just went through was the highlight of this program because uh (laughs) But <laughs> oh, we're one. still excited. We're still excited. <laughs> we are. We are. Now, now, you know, right before we get into the issue, we got to read the solicit. And last time around, we kind of we skipped the solicit because, well, it spoiled the entire thing. This time out, we can read the solicit because it really doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, I'm not even sure if it's for the right issue, but it is what we got. Uh, the solicit reads, the Strike Force discovers how merciless the alien horde ravaging Earth can really be when they journey to the planet first attacked by the spacefaring world ravagers. I, I don't I don't know that that happens here, but um, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, you want to you want to give us the vitals on this issue? All right. Well, we're on Strike Force Moratory number 10. Double digits, baby. This was cover dated September 1987, and it's titled Cats. <laughs> mm. Now, this is this is not your Winter Garden Theater variety, of course. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but anything named Cats, I think I feel like I've got like an instant repulsion <laughs> for it. I don't know if it's a mental block or I'm just not a theater guy. I don't know. Anyway, writer is Peter G. Gillis. Uh, Peter B. Gillis, sorry. Mm. Pencils. Wait a second. There's no Brent Anderson. That's not Brent Anderson. It's Wills Portacio, Mr. Wetworks himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing this one. Inks are Scott Williams. Letterers are by Janice Chang. Uh, colors by Max Scheel. Edits by Mr. Carl Potts. And, of course, the chief is Acne Boy himself, Mr. Jimmy Shooter. 
So, <laughs> and of anyone, anyone who's seen uh, Jim Shooter, you you know what I'm saying is true. He's got a, he, he's got that Brian Adams acne going on, but we still love him. Uh, cover price is 75 cents USD, 95 cents Canada. Of course, they threw an extra 20 cents on us poor hapless Canadians, and 40p, which I still don't understand, but I know it's a lot of money in the UK. <laughs> Yes. Uh, this the release date for this issue is May 26, 1987, Year of Our Lord. Mm-hmm. Now the cover we get here is uh, well, it's very pink. It's very, yes. very pink. It's blindingly pink, as, as a matter of fact. And uh, it features the heroes that we know as the Black Watch, and they're dishing out a world of hurt on some Hordian soldiers. The cover copy teases us with a caption that reads, "The Return of the Black Watch?" Question mark. Which is, uh, you know, just what we always wanted, right? <laughs> of, of course. <laughs> Naturally. Maybe, maybe they're going to follow up on that bombshell they left us with at the end of last issue where we found out there might be a cure and, like, uh, you know, Lewis was going to take the cure and everything was going to be, like, really weird, right? I mean, that's what we want to know, right? Oh, my God. You know what? I hate when when media does this. I mean, they don't mm. like they have this hot angle, this hot storyline, and you can't wait to get there till next week or next month to find out, you know, what's going on in the comic book or what's going on in a certain TV show. Uh, you know, you just blow momentum by not following up. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you have you have the viewers or your readers captivated to the point where they can't rate. You know, they're they're racing to the convenience store to get through the comic shop to grab their issue or they're tuning into a certain station. They can't wait to follow up on another show and you don't give it to them you jump back in time or you have like a a different episode or you switch to something else altogether like cats oh my god (laughs) i'm a huge walking dead fan and you know what there was an episode where glenn who who constantly seemingly died a lot in this show but anyway apparently he was eaten by a whole bunch of walkers uh, around a dumpster and the ending you know led you to believe that glenn had died okay but of course, next episode when you're scrambling to get there and go, oh my god, I can't believe, you know, what's the fallout from Glenn's death? Sure. Nothing. They just switch storylines and they don't even address it. And they wait two or three episodes until they even talk about it. Wow. As a fan, and I'm telling you right now, I know that a lot of people just drop that show like a hot rock when when that happened. But I mean, a lot of times they're trying to be smart, you know. Oh my goodness, you know, we'll just create some more storyline. But a lot of times it's hurtful. People want to follow up. Like like when I read last issue of Moratory, I want to know what happens to Lewis. And instead exactly. we get cats. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, like wow. a, a lot, like you mentioned Walking Dead here, and a lot of the prim- primetime dramas do that kind of thing. It's like almost to the point of abuse. Uh, you know, like when you're watching like brand new television, like I know Walking Dead has like a weird, like they've got like weird, like, like 10 episode season, like bursts or something or is that game of yeah. thrones i'm thinking of it's no 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 that's that's exactly what walking dead they usually split their season so they'll gotcha. go you know what i mean they'll take so a the break. fall season then yeah. they'll do like a spring so they don't I, come back till february now you know what i mean they've gotcha. already their season gotcha yeah because like like i'm thinking about shows like lost uh they, they'd be like on like a winter hiatus or something and they'd have like this just awesome cliffhanger you know and then you'd be waiting like a month and a half two months and you get back and they don't mention anything about the cliffhanger. It's just like, well, let's go look on another, the other end of the island. It's like, I don't uh, care about the other end of the island. You know, I want to know what's happening to the people we've been following. Or like another show, I mean, don't judge me, but I, I love Desperate Housewives. You, you ever watch that show? <laughs> With, I uh, am like Terry ju- Hatcher and... Uh, I, I am and, judging your ass right now. 
it, it's a really good show. But uh, they it's would weird. do the same. <laughs> they would do they would do similar things like where so, like the show like the Christmas episode someone would like a plane would land in the on the street. This is one I remember. They were having a big Christmas party in the neighborhood, and an airplane crashed on the street and like ran into like a, a tent that was full of people. So it's like you don't know who lived, who died, who was injured. So you have to wait until you come back in like January or February. Ugh. And then when they come back, it's like, well, first, here's a flashback episode because a mailman died. And we need to find out what the, how this mailman touched everybody's life. Like, <laughs> I, I don't I don't give a crap about this mailman. I want to know who died in the tent. You know, so, like somebody needs to lose their job over this stuff. You know what I mean? Right? That's bad. Absolutely. Oh, now back to our cover. Uh, now the bottom left-hand corner. You know how like sometimes there'll be like a UPC code in a little box yep. or a Spidey head or like you know the 50th anniversary of Captain America sort of thing there. Absolutely. This time it says 1987 colon the year of the reader. Ooh. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. You yes. want to? You want to? You want to bring us into the story here? Well, we are actually opening, and it got some. It's a weird creature called the Deshire of Melindar. Melidar, I think that's how we'll say it. I think so. Melidar. Yeah. Anyway, he's eating a can of spum, not spam, <laughs> spum, straight out of the can. Now, <laughs> which is funny because, uh, of course, I'm going to railroad this, uh, make it a little <laughs> bit more interesting than it actually is. But anyway. Just to touch on spam, so I live on an island, it's called Newfoundland in Canada, and for many years, especially in the 60s and, and, you know, 50s and 60s, we didn't have a lot of stores, so a lot of imports would come over on boats and different things like that to our island, Uh, which meant a lot of stuff didn't last, so, you know, fresh meats, produce, that type of thing, you know, didn't stand the test of time, so there was a really limited shelf life, but stuff like spam and flakes of ham and different things like that, were considered a delicacy because it lasted. You could stick okay. that up in your cupboard and, you know, it lasted past the nuclear war and the cockroaches. And <laughs> But anyway, it's funny because it actually became a traditional Newfoundland dinner. So okay. canned meat was something that you would invite people over to have. <laughs> like it was like turkey dinner. So you would have spam and they had, you know, off brands called click and different things like that. And you would bring people over and you'd cut this stuff up and it, jelly and all, even that fatty jelly oh. that's around. Those, I know, bro. Listen, <laughs> I'm I'm not here to say it's right. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and guess what you served it with to make matters um, worse? An acid? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> they didn't have that either. <laughs> poor, poor bastards. They were served with mustard pickles. What is a mustard pickle? Exactly what it sounds like. like. Pitcher pickles, like large dill pickles cut sure. up in like circular slices and just in a full jar of mustard oh oh that's now the, foul now the spam was heated so i mean you know that's good mm, that, that, heated, heated spam and mustard. <laughs> oh and, and flakes of ham flakes of well it was it was mostly spam and click and different things which was like uh corned beef flakes of ham came a little bit later but okay. uh you familiar with flakes of ham? I am not. I'm picturing like those like boxes of instant mashed potatoes where <laughs> it's like flakes of potato. <laughs> no, they're in a little tiny can, like a can, you, you know, tuna cans. Okay. Yeah. So it comes in like little tiny, it's gelatinous, fat covered oh. ham that you slice up. And it is, it is fairly nasty, <laughs> but it exists. <laughs> it exists. And and it goes in salads and you put it in different stuff. It 
Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, the Ariz- it's not an Arizona delight. <laughs> maybe no. I'll send you a can. Yeah, maybe, maybe, That'll maybe be the we'll next get taste you. Test. <laughs> Do you guys have Vienna sausage, by the way? You know, when I was a kid, I used to eat them straight out of the can, my, according to my mother. I, yes. I, uh, I couldn't imagine doing that now, uh, the very Bro, smell of Vienna that's, sausage. That's a, that's a delicacy here. <laughs> no joke. Vienna sausage is considered a Newfoundland favorite. How about that? We're Oof. savages. Yeah, <laughs> but but anyway, anyway, off spam. So we started with the creature, Deshire from Melodar, eating spum straight into yes. the can. And, of course, he says his soul is uh, remains unquiet, which is probably one of the side effects of eating the damn spum, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of things remain unquiet. <laughs> I'll send you some mustard pickles. <laughs> The Shire. Uh, anyway, the Horde returns from their latest raid. You know, whoever the hell, some Earthbound Horde base, you know, I don't know where they came from. We're assuming a Horde base, Earthbound, anyway. Yeah. Uh, there are a whole bunch more of the Shire-like critters they're scurrying about. So, you know, it's a whole place full of cats. I can imagine the smell. Mm. <laughs> the litter box is unkempt. <laughs> they, they they look not completely unlike cats, you know, of the Winter Garden variety, theater variety, of course. Similar, uh, a little bit. They they look about as anatomically correct as a Barbie doll, as overgrown as tufts of fur hanging down from their shoulders and past their chests. But they have this, like, long mane of red hair, so. Yeah, and, like, one of the cats, maybe the same one. I, I You know, we're going to talk about the art as we go on here. Um, But I don't think we can blame this all on Protasio because this story is like it's like there's like a flashback within flashbacks and you just don't know where you are here. We're going to assume that this is Deshire here or Deshire heads into a horde control room and then hops up on one of the chairs. We got a hordesman there. He scowls in Deshire's direction. Because evidently pets aren't allowed to be on the furniture or something. And <laughs> and so we learned that, you know, these Melodars are pets to the Hordesman. Hmm. Uh, now, this Hordesman, he, he just stops caring. He's like, I'm not going to argue with him. He just goes back to doing whatever he was doing. And uh, the cat, Desher, uh, laments the fact that their people, the Melodar, have become comfortable and complacent in their roles as pets to the old scrotum chins here. They're just uh, <laughs> they're just hanging out. They're having a good time. They're comfortable. So they, they, they've lost their will to, you know, break away. <laughs> Listen, man, it doesn't matter how many issues go by, but uh, those horde scrotum chins are, are still quite disturbing. Yeah. Before we started this podcast, I never even thought of a scrotum as being ugly, but now <laughs> I, I, I can't even look at my own. I don't know. Horrible. You got to have like one of them paper uh, paper aprons on in the shower. <laughs> now, now this cat flashes back to a time where their people were taken from their planet by the invading horde. We hear that their home planet was plundered and the people were either put into slavery or put to death. Now, still lost in thought, Deshare doesn't realize that another Hordesman has entered the room, one who really, really doesn't want a pet sitting in a chair. It's like, okay, it's a done deal now. So this Hordesman goes to give the cat a whooping, but is stopped by the uh, more chill, testy neck uh, that uh, was just <laughs> cool with everything. Now, the cat notices that the Hordesman who was about to beat the crap out of him is adorned in dolls, like actual Barbie dolls. You remember how, like, like our hordesmen have flair, you know? They wear pins and buttons and all sorts of stuff. Well, this one wears Barbie dolls around its neck. We're, we're not here to judge them, by the way. No, to no. Each their, I mean, to each their own. To each their own here. I mean, uh, 
Now, this just this scene here of seeing these Barbie dolls around this uh, hordesman's neck is enough to remind Desher of the first time that it saw what a human looks like. And the little bugger is enchanted. Oh, well, this leads to yet another flashback. You know, this one, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to make heads or tails of. I don't know where they're going with this flashback. But anyway, a craft happens to land somewhere and some aliens wearing what looks like aim helmets. They exit. Now, they're greeted with open arms by the horde who then, you know, strike when the visitors defenses are lowered, of course, like you would. Uh, we then find out. um in this scene that there was a vision given to a young cat. And we learned the name is Lalasha. How, how would you pronounce that? Lalak. Lalak. Okay. Lalak by Desher. Boy, this sound, this is a lot of like French. I think mm. this was, this was done by the French. Oh, oui, oui. Anyway, <laughs> I just, I just lost my Canadian audience right there with my uh, disparaging uh, <laughs> version of the French language right there. This was apparently a vision, of course, that the first people who fell into the horde, uh, you know, this apparently was a vision of the first people who fell to the horde. The horde army would steal the craft and use it to take over and loot other planets. So, you know, they're robbers. They're stealing everything they can, man. They don't care if it. They never had the technology previously, so they just take stuff and use it, which is pretty smart. So they basically admit to, well, we don't build stuff, but we, you know, we just rip it off and steal the technology and we're good. Absolutely. <laughs> so the luck ask when anyone will strike back. So, you know, they're they're plotting this, you know, uprising and the share can only reply reply when when the time is right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, a group of humans are escorted into the Horde base. So I don't know if this is a flashback inside a flashback inside a flashback or if this is a flash forward inside a flashback inside a flashback. (laughs) But we're going to assume that this is a flash forward to a flashback, maybe. But we'll get there. Yes. Now, we've got humans, right? They're they're led into the Horde base. They're kind of like on a chain gang here. They're led into a locker room area. They're stripped naked. They're bound in chains. And Desher suggests that the only way to ensure victory is to buy is by building up their allies, you know, because uh, without allies, they're just, you know, a couple of like three foot tall cat critter people who really, you know, have the, I mean, they can't even they can't even commandeer a chair, much less, you know, the entire <laughs> Horde base. Now, the cats scurry up a flight of stairs, and they pass by a conference room where a hordesman named – and these cla- these these hordesman names are really, really bad uh, – Cloudfire. Now, oh, yes. Yes. Now, Cloudfire is delivering a sit rep. It turns out that many of the guardsmen are unhappy with their duties because they don't like being stuck on base when, you know, they could be out pillaging and plundering and murdering and doing whatever they want to do, but they're stuck – on patrol inside a base watching over these stupid cats. Um, now, Hordesman Dread Eagle and Bilgeberg. 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 Fear the spear with Bilgeberg. <laughs> now, they argue the merits of rotating the staff. It's like, hey, maybe we should rotate, you know, jobs and, and pull in people from the field and send other guys out into the field. But then, you know, before they can make any sort of decision or any kind of a, I don't know, conf- confirming statement, a crew of hordesmen return to the base. So an alarm goes off. We have, you know, incoming, incoming. It's our men coming home. And we meet a man named Claw Swipe. <laughs> Claw Swipe. Hmm. 
man, this is like a sign of the times. I'm telling you, <laughs> if, if you're back in the eighties, especially, you know, in the, uh, the Wolverine John Byrne era, I mean, everything was claws, you know what I mean? Claw <laughs> this claw that. So, you know, it, it sort of fits here. I swear in 2019, like they still use these, you know, these claw type names, but right now it's done with like a Rob Liefeld name generator. Yeah. So, so you get like rip claw, blood Shatter. claw, night claw, <laughs> which is stupid. But anyway, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> claw swipe. He uh, exits the craft only to be informed by Dread Eagle that he uh, aches to be by his side. Dread Eagle is very, very adamant that he wants to be by Claw Swipe's side. Well, we now, have some diversity going on amongst do. the ranks of the uh, the, the it's, scrotums. It's, it's refreshing to see. Uh, now, Claw Swipe gives him a trinket, but damned if we know what it is just yet, uh, because in the panel, old ass swipe here is just pointing <laughs> to his bicep like Scott Steiner. You know, he's like, <laughs> he's like, look at my arm. And it's the big like, bad booty daddy. Yeah, there's nothing there, dude. Uh, <laughs> Dread Eagle laments the fact that. While he might be what they call first in the field, he's still stuck inside holding counsel rather than outside kicking ass. So he's Mm. really upset about his lot in life here. Now, when the duo get far enough away from the rabble, Claw Swipe finally presents his gift. And it's a uh, it's a Phi Beta Kappa key. It's a uh, (laughs) and it's actually a uh, like a fraternal sort of a, a college collegiate honor society I, I i actually am a member and i do have a key uh, oh wow really he, yes yes absolutely but in the artwork it it looks like an actual key like like something you would turn and and unlock a door with which you know that's i and i i looked this up to see if there were variations on the key but uh i couldn't find anything that looked like an actual key it's really just like a badge with like a pin at the bottom oh yeah yeah so it's not like an actual like turn a key open a door sort of a situation but that's how it was rendered here. Um, he's happy to get it, uh, whatever it is. And uh, Claws and Dread, they do their super secret handshake. And then an alarm sounds. Hmm. Well, the hordesmen scurry about. And as the lone ship approaches, inside it, oh, here we go. It's the Earthmen. More oh. specifically, our good buddies, once again, the Black Watch. I mean, what what do you... <laughs> they've been talked about. They've been praised. They've been idolized. They've been put on videos. Every single thing about Strike Force Moratory centers around the original... The legend of the yes, Black the Watch. Yes, the legend of the Black Watch. And this happens to be the third version... <laughs> <laughs> of the Black Watch origin. So every single every single time that this is tackled, it's done in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first in the first few issues, we see the Black Watch attack the Horde. And, you know, it's it's these guys and they're mercenaries. They're big dudes and they're busting ass all over the Horde. And, you know, they die in a blaze of glory. You know what I mean? And everybody celebrates the Black Watch. Then we get another version where we get to see them. They almost disintegrate with the with mm-hmm. the powers, and it's sort of like a a really scary version of you know what the moratory process is all about. But now this one, we actually get to see it from the cat's point of view, which is mm-hmm. which is interesting. But they sort of portray them as not being overly competent. No, I mean not no, at all. no. I mean, uh, I mean they just look like bumbling fools and. Uh, and you know yeah, they're like fighting. Shoot first, ask questions later. No planning, just do yeah, whatever. Just, yeah, just raise hell and and hope for the best. Exactly. Carry on, sir. 
Yeah, now, like as you mentioned here, Lalak and Desher, they have a front row seat to this invasion. So we're getting this from their point of view. And they figure, they see this, you know, one little measly ship with three dudes on it. And they figure, ah, this is just another failed attempt to take down the Horde, you know. And they reflect on some, you know, pretty dark times in the past. Because the Bozkoi, the (laughs) Kakel, and the Yelandri... These are other races that have tried and failed to take down the Horde. So surely three goofy humans ain't going to do a whole lot against all scrotum chins. <laughs> exactly. Now, our man Clint uh, of the Black Watch, he leaps into action and he slams his fist down on a Horde tank before lifting it up and hoisting it straight in the air with ease. He throws this thing like a mile. Uh, Woody, he uses his eye blasts in order to blind the horde, so he doesn't, like, shoot them with it, but he just, like, makes this spectacular light show that just, you know, gives them the stars in front of their eyes. And he says, there's a snake in my boot. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Bruce, <laughs> well, his speed powers really aren't all that helpful in this situation, but he is there, so that's good. Um, <laughs> now, in the distraction of the eye blast blindness, the Black Watchers manage to bust through the wall of the horde complex and they manage to get inside to infiltrate the base. Now, Lalak and Desher, as mentioned, they watch the heroes as they enter, and they follow them as they... And, I mean, the the Black Watch walks in, and they just start bashing through walls. Oh, it's like they're they just do. putting holes in walls. They're not following any any kind of hallways. They're just punching through walls. <laughs> and so, finally, Lalak decides it's time for an introduction, you know. Uh, Lalak approaches the Black Watches and uh, promises to bring them to the rest of the humans. You know, it's like, hey, you're human. We got humans here. We'll show you where they are. And so that's exactly what they do. They lead the Black Watch to a room, a darkened room full of beds and a whole lot of human slaves. Oh, boy. Now, the slaves, of course, they beg for rescue, which you'd assume that there's something they'd probably be interested in, in getting. While uh, Desher stays hidden in the corner. So Lalak is, you know, helping. He's given the, the full tour here. While Desher is kind of a coward and is hiding in the darkness in the corner. It's like, I don't want to be caught. Um, now, Desher, being, you know, in this, um, you know, advantageous position, can see that the horde are approaching. You know, they're coming just like just like in our <laughs> continuity yes, earlier. Yes, exactly. The horde are around every corner, or especially every closed door. That's where they <laughs> hang out. So Desher notices that the horde are approaching, but is so scared, doesn't say anything. You know, stays silent, strictly out of fear. Now, this allows the Horde to get the jump on the Black Watch and actually blows the brains out of poor Lalak. Like, shoots him oh, right in the boy. head, blows his head up. So what, 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 where, where do we go from here? Well, of course, when Clint lunges the Dread Eagle, uh, he's the first in the field. While they're monologuing about how they traded their lives for the moratory process, yada, 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 here we go. They, so, can't, I mean, they can't help themselves. No, my God, they always got to bring it up. It doesn't matter <laughs> what time. If you're a moratory member, if you're part of the moratory process, you have to bring it up at least twice a day and ruin your supper. You know what I mean? Yes. It's never good. <laughs> but, you know, we get it. You die, you die within a year. We get it. We we understand. No need to beat us, beat us, listeners, viewers, or readers over the head with that every time. <laughs> now Clint snaps poor Dread Eagle's neck and he kills him. Now the horde, as you can imagine, they're ticked off. Now Dread Eagle's tent mate, and it's interesting that they use 
tents to classify the the horde. Yeah. So you know they haven't divided into tents, which is which is kind of cool. It's it's basically their caste system or sure. or your rank system. So you're you know you're in a certain tent or group. Yeah. yeah, their hierarchy. So some alien uh, some alien with an eye patch hurls a dual headed axe at Clint, embedding it right in his chest. Mm-hmm. Now Woody and the other guy they decide it's time to retreat, <laughs> and so they split. And and they try, you know, without taking a single slave to freedom. So they basically ditch all these poor they slaves. Ditch everybody, including their own dude. So as it it doesn't even make sense. I mean, you know, this version of the the Black Watch, it's another twist on the story, which is kind of yep. cool because you think about it. Uh, basically, the moratory process is a propaganda machine. I mean, it's a, it's a government tool to you know showcase. Uh, you know, in the Battle of the Horde, you know, we're going to use these moratory specimens to fight the Horde. And, you know, they review the footage of them, you know, being successful in victory when it looks like that they're actually a pack of undisciplined cowards. Sure. Yeah, they, they, make, leave. they make Harold look like he's competent. Yes, my God. I mean, these these guys, like, they go, like, full Bon Jovi on these people, blaze of glory. <laughs> But yet they they don't bother to help out any slaves. They leave their own guy to their death. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, as the Robert horde celebrates, do that. Yeah. Can you imagine Robert leaving Jaylene behind? That would oh, never ain't, happen. Ain't gonna happen. He would tear that ship from asshole to appetite mm-hmm. to save his. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, but anyway, as the horde celebrate their victory, the slaves chant the Black Watch's name. Now they're 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 probably saying like, please come back and save us for God's sake. But like but the anyway. way this is illustrated, like they have like their fists up in the air, like Black Watch, Black Watch. It's like, didn't you just see them run away from you? They abandoned you. Just got, you. You just got you, ditched. Yeah. Why are you chanting for people who abandoned you? Doesn't even make sense, but this is where this this uh, story gets gets bad in a hurry. Yeah. So the horde, seeing this, they turn flamethrowers on all the slaves and burn everybody to a crisp. Yeah. And it's just one of those things. I mean, uh, when you think about like human atrocities, I mean World War Two, and you've got like the Hitler Hitler regime with the Nazis, and you know you can't help but you know feel that vibe again here. It's just crimes and atrocities, just horrible, horrible. These these creatures and hordesmen's are, but man, yeah. just literally burning them to death. Not good. No, no. And uh, Desher, as you know, the coward that uh, that this cat is, is still watching, just watching this all go down, staying silent, motionless in the corner in the dark, but uh, doesn't do anything. And uh, you know, we uh, we wrap up because this flashback ends, and we're back maybe in the present. I don't know, but I think um, so. Maybe. Uh, now we wrap up back in that command room from earlier in the issue, the room where the chair was chewed off, was shoot off the chair, you know, the chair and the chair and the chair and the chair. <laughs> but uh, now the horde's been, they've already left their post. So the chair hops back up into the seat to watch the monitors, hopeful that maybe someone will be able to stop the horde. And that's it. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my brother. I, I don't know really know what to think about this issue. You know what? I, I love everything Strike Force Moratory. This is the first issue where I was sort of like, what am I reading here? And if the yeah, Black this... Watch didn't show up, I really wouldn't have known. Yeah, it's uh, not. I, I, it's this is probably gonna be our first negative. Uh... Yep. There's just so much going against it. I mean, we had that awesome reveal of that the, 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 there's a cure last issue. 
So like that's what we come back for the the, the cure and seeing what Lewis is doing and uh, all these characters that we've grown to love over the past I mean it would have been nine months and then we get this and it's I I don't know who is asking for another another Black Watch origin um <laughs> Not this I, guy. I know I sure wasn't yeah and the I mean these cats like what's the point of these cats I I. It could have been anything. It could have been a human. It could have been anybody having this uh, flashback. It could have been anybody having this flashback over the course of like three or four pages, not think, an entire I, issue. I think you're looking at it from like an unbiased point of view style character. So when you remove the emotional attachment of the humans who idolize the Black Watch, you're looking mm. at them through a different lens. That's so true. they're 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 seeing different things that that humans There's probably no wouldn't see. Yeah. Yes. So they're just seeing like pure happenings here so they're, they're not noticing the nuances of you know the human uprising and they're here to save the slaves they, they don't they don't know any of the backstory of the black watch they just see these guys come roughshod bon jovi style in and coming <laughs> to break the doors down and Absolutely. you know trying to wipe out the horde so from that end it's it's an interesting point of view but i i don't know if i want this in my book <laughs> i don't know especially not taking up an entire issue no and, nay nay and it's not and it's not like it's decompressed like like a like a current year story or anything, but it's just so many things I don't care. I don't care about the first in field. Do you care about the first in field? <laughs> no, my brother. I, I do not. And I mean I mean even some of the horde stuff was a little out of place. You know what I mean? Like you had some horde on horde love going on here, which you never ever was was brought up before. You've got uh, you know, different leaders and there's there's just all kinds of things that set the story back a notch as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, not my favorite the and I mean we also I mean the elephant in the room, it's it's a different artist. And while, while I can appreciate any time that they've done a, like a black watch aside, it's been Wills Protasio on the art, which I, I like that in in theory and in concept. I do. Where it's like, okay, well, this is a whole different sort of a, you know, kettle of fish here. It's not Brent Anderson. It's a different person, and it's someone markedly different than Brent Anderson. So it's like you're getting, it's like we're getting two different stories, you know. And that's that's cool as a concept, but uh, uh you know, it's and, it's like you're, it's like you know, if you're, it's like going from like fluid motion to posed action figures in a way. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's what, like what a, very little articulation, just uh, not 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 a good look. So he comes out of the gate. He's got an absolutely stellar first page. I mean, yes. he got the picture. It's got a picture of the 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 Shire, the Malak, the Malaki, yeah, yeah the, whatever the it is. Malachi, yeah. yeah, and he's eating his spum. But I mean, <laughs> it's a amazing visual. So I mean, you know, you're thinking page one. This yep. is going to be a great issue. But it's like he sort of got bored himself drawing this book because the quality, <laughs> man, the quality and the backgrounds, they sort of just drop out of nowhere. And yeah. it just gets progressively worse right to the last page. It's like he gave, you know, he, he lost his will to live as he's going through this thing. I don't know. And another thing that was uh, like, you know, when you're growing up and you try to draw characters, right, you know, like you try to draw your favorites and uh I remember trying to draw, like, I was, like, in fifth or sixth grade, and I tried drawing Cyclops, you know, the X-Men oh, uh, yes. leader. And it's like, okay, you draw him, he's got his visor, you know, it's all cool. Then you, like, draw him, like, in civilian clothes, and it's, like, a guy with sunglasses on. You don't know that it's Cyclops. You Nobody at, at a glance would be able to tell you it's Cyclops. Or if you put him and a picture of Gambit that you drew next to him, you wouldn't be able to tell who was who or if that they exactly. had any kind of 
that's that's what Wills Bertancio gives us here. We have all these horde characters who get names, but they all look exactly the same. And and then we get like this like bum rush action scene where it's like balloons on top of balloons and identical character on top of identical character where like the only one we knew who was different was the one with an eye patch. Exactly. You know, and that's only because one of the Black Watch guys is like, oh, dude, with the eye patch is pissed. You know, it's, <laughs> everybody else. It's like I didn't know that it was Dread Eagle, the first in the field, who was who had his neck snapped. It was just another Horde guy. I, so I, it, absolutely. I mean, the, the art doesn't differentiate. And, it doesn't. and I was like you. I spent a lot of time with like a little, you know, drawing tablet as a kid and a mm-hmm. pencil. I mean, a lot of a lot of what I love today about comic books is, is based on my love of art. You know what I mean? Sure. I would draw my own stories and my own comic books. And I mean, I mean, they weren't great, but I, I remember just trying to draw like some of my favorite artists and finding out how actually difficult it is. Like Keith Absolutely. Giffen, I know I busted his balls earlier, but <laughs> I remember sitting down and trying to actually draw like Keith Giffen, even as crappy as I thought it was. I was like, this is incredibly detailed to get through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was really, really hard to say with Jack Kirby. I mean, sure. it looks, it looks very basic. It ain't mm-hmm. basic, brother. You start drawing that stuff in those poses and keep that continuity in the way he, he does stuff. And I think that's what Portacio's missing. It's a sense of just stuff bursting off the page. It looks like yeah. stuff stacked on top of each other. There's no rhyme or reason. No. You, it's every, you can't discriminate between anything. Uh, it's just a loss for me. It is. And, you know, like a little bit more on that. Like if you ever – like the first time you look at manga and you look at how like few lines there are in every drawing and it's like, oh, I could do that. <laughs> nope. And then you sit down nope. and try. It's like, well, nope, can't do that. <laughs> yep. All of a sudden, you know, and, and I tell you, the first mistake people make with manga is nobody can draw the eyes properly. So you know, yeah. you can get you can get the chin and you can get away with the hair. And as soon as it comes to drawing that eye and the nose, Robert it's always Gibson. <laughs> yes, it is Robert Gibson. <laughs> He's got that yeah. that that eye that's looking like at the uh, the equator. Yeah, looking <laughs> left while he's walking right. Yep. <laughs> Brutal. Oh boy, but uh, you know that's uh, this. Uh, you know this is not. You know I want to leave us on a high note for this story, but I just can't. You know I we we're, we don't even get a little blurb at the end of this issue promising what's next. You know we don't know what's next, and uh, we haven't read ahead yet. You know, and it's been years since we have. So well, well, I'll I'll, I'll leave it with the positive. Ready for this? Yes. So so as everybody is getting ready to curl around the fireplace for the holidays and you're wondering, hey, we just ran out of wood. What can we use to start the fire? <laughs> well, why don't we grab that issue of Strike Force Moratory number yes. 10? Because that because that's the shit and nobody will miss that. <laughs> that burns so, real. <laughs> there you oh. go. Man, but uh, you know, before we before we throw it on the fire here, we should probably get through you know our back matter, and oh, uh, yes. we can start with some bullpen bulletins here. And uh, I don't know if we read this last month, but every bullpen bulletin that we've that we've covered here, they've got a little quote of the month. They take something from a comic book that came out this month as just a little blurb, and it's usually well pretty bad. Um, we got the quote of the month this time, and it says, "Ma'am, if Uncle Sam wanted be me to be Mickey Mouse, I'd do it. I'm that kind of American, the kind oh. you can count on." And that wow. comes from John Walker, the new Captain America in Captain America issue 333. <laughs> We're going to talk more about that in just a little while. Now, our news here: we have news items for the bullpen bulletins here. Don Perlin retires. 
Ooh. As a freelancer, he, he joins Marvel staff as an art director. So there's that. And what, now what did he draw? Like, what was he on? You know, I actually I actually looked that up because his name rang a bell, but I couldn't couldn't place him. Um, was he Ghost Rider? Ooh, I don't okay. Remember. I don't remember. I, I did have the list, and I just forgot to transpose it into this mm. uh, into this document that we're reading from here. But uh, our next news item is Marvel Saga hey. Alpha Flight. Oh no, no! Oh, Stop, right <laughs> Stop right there! Stop right there! Do we really need to talk about Alpha Flight? I hated this team. I'm a Canadian and damn damn proud of it. But you know what? There's just something about pandering to the Canadian audience (laughs) with a stupid Canadian team that I can't stand. You name a guy, Puck. Because, you know, hockey is the big sport in Canada. So you have this... Little person, I won't use the term midget because I'm above that. So little person called Puck with a big P on his chest because hockey is cool. Then you have North Star because the North Star, Mm -hmm. uh, Aurora, and Sasquatch. I mean, I can't, I couldn't be more offended and I don't get offended. (laughs) But you know what? Why why didn't they just get even more stereotypically? Like, why didn't they call someone like Agent A? (laughs) <laughs> or Baron Back Bacon, eh? Or Maple Syrup Melvin. Come on. I mean, <laughs> did people actually feel like this in the U.S. when they created, like, the Freedom Fighters? Like, what did you think of that when they had, like, Uncle Sam and, like, you know, the flag wavers and all this type of stuff? Nobody read that. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. I thought Uncle Sam was cool. Just like people, just like Americans think of Alpha Flight as cool. Well, guess what? They ain't. <laughs> no, in Alpha Flight, they, they should have had a Captain Degrassi. Yes. Yeah, you know, Stephanie K might have actually made a decent live action Lorna. I think. (laughs) All the way with Stephanie K. All the way with Stephanie K. (laughs) That was the very first episode. Yeah. As for casting Lorna, more on that in just a little bit. But, uh, you know, back to our news item Marvel Saga, Alpha Flight, Power Pack, and Strike Force Muraturi. They are reported as joining Marvel's exclusive direct distribution line. Oh, my God. Game over, bro. (laughs) Like, like, seriously, (laughs) if if you are trying to publish a comic book and generate sales, what is the one thing that you don't do? Take it out (laughs) of the public's hands altogether and stick it in the (laughs) CD basements of a comic shop in the direct market. (laughs) Holy, it just baffles me. So if your book is like... Like, if you want to increase sales, you, all of a sudden you limited circulation? It's like a death nail, man. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like, you know, especially in, in you know, when, when the when the newsstands were a more thriving option, this seems like, you know, short-term uh, thinking here. It's like, okay, the direct market, they're going to buy every issue. They can't return anything, so we're going to get ours. But, I mean, that's only going to be supported as long as people come in and actually buy it. You Absolutely. Know? And and you know what? They've given this book such little play. They don't Absolutely. give it a blurb. They don't advertise it. It doesn't cross over with anything else in the Marvel Universe. It's last on the list. Like, it, it never even gets a cover. It gets no play. So, Bullpen Boltons, they don't even give it a blurb. Nope, not at all. And uh, and they, they do say that if you do not have a comic book outlet in your neighborhood, well, no problem. You can just subscribe using the coupon in this very same Mighty Marvel Mag. Yes, and we'll fold it in half and stick it in a brown paper bag and let it get destroyed in the mail. <laughs> Perfect. 
No, we, we we do flip ahead a few pages here to find that Strike Force Military is in fact listed on the subscription page. Ooh, what an honor. Seven dollars and seventy five cents American for a year's subscription, which mm. saves you a dollar twenty five annually over the newsstand price. And folks, that's five hundred dollars Canadian. That's a big deal. Think think of, think of all the Vienna sausages. You'd be like Scrooge McDuck swimming through <laughs> your your vault of Vienna sausages. <laughs> now, uh, something we actually neglected to mention a few episodes ago is that they were running a New Universe sweepstakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you could answer New Universe trivia. Which means, in theory, you would actually have to go out to the store and buy your new universe books and then read them. Which I, I, I have, think a, was I have a, a question. Trivia question number one. What is the first <laughs> issue uh, of the new universe? Or what is the first title from the new universe to get canceled? Well, that's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone except Starbrand, right? Oh, now... People did actually, uh, you know, they answered these questions. They sent in their postcard. I don't, I don't know if there was any money exchanging hands here, but uh, we are happy and ecstatically proud to announce that Joe in Indiana, he won the grand prize in the New Universe contest. What did he win? He won a 12-month subscription to all eight New Universe titles. I'm not sure they're all going to make 12 issues at this point, <laughs> from this point on. So they, they, he might be in collections right now. You also <laughs> Sorry get a, about your damn luck, Joe. <laughs> you wanted that DP-7. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> in addition to, uh, let's see, 8 times 12 is a lot. You get all those books over a course of a year. You get a page of original New, new Universe artwork. Doesn't say which artist, which book, which character, or anything like that. It's probably just whichever one the artist didn't pick up. And you also get an exclusive, exclusive red Marvel baseball jacket. Oh, I'd take it. I'd take it. We got to look on eBay, see if we can find ourselves some exclusive red Marvel baseball jackets. Well, feel, feel free to send us one. If you have one and want to want to send it to Chris or Chris here, go right ahead. <laughs> now, four first prize winners, they received six-month subscriptions to the eight new universe books. It's kind of a cheapskate wow. thing to do, isn't it? But oh, it is, man. in fairness, it is more realistic because I don't know if they had six more issues to go at this point. Um, let's let's do the math on that. What would six issues of any random title from the Marvel Universe be worth right now, Chris? Do it. Just do a quick calculation in your head. Three dollars. <laughs> if that. That's that's that's, that's a mid, that's a mid yeah. nine point eight. <laughs> <laughs> slabbed. <laughs> now these four first prize winners also got the exclusive baseball jacket. Ten second prize winners receive a 12-month subscription to the new universe book of their choosing. So only one book, 12 issues. Hopefully they pick Starbrand because I think that's the only one that went over 12. Um, no, and they, What was that? DP7. Oh, maybe DP7. Yep. They also get the damn jacket. So, I mean, it's not all that exclusive anymore, right? Jeez, everybody was getting that jacket everybody except for us. Jacket, right? Then... Finally, 10 third prize winners get a six-month subscription to the new universe book of their choosing and a red Marvel baseball cap, which seems more exclusive at this point. Yes, definitely. My God, nobody's got that cap. That's the the prize. prize. 
I mean, I could have had six months of Kickers Inc. and the red baseball cap all at once. It's it's amazing. It's it's crazy, but true. Now, this is a very brief bullpen bulletins because we have yet another profile. Oh, boy. Last time we learned about uh, Playgirl's most eligible bachelor, Jim Shooter. <laughs> Today, we're going to learn a thing or three about Thomas DeFalco. Ooh. Now, his claim to fame, pre-1987, is that he is the executive editor for all Marvel and Star Comics. Yes, Queen! <laughs> I, I, I collected tons of these Star Comics, man. I had Spider-Ham, Droids, Thundercats, He-Man, which is still the best version on the market, by the way. I don't care. None of, none of the other versions of He-Man <laughs> comics stacked up to the Star version. Planetary, which is planetary. Get it? Wink, wink. I get it. Top Dog, Alf, which I swear to God, the first few issues of Alf was a star comic. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. And Royal Roy. Now, anyone who's not familiar with star comics, a lot of these, especially their their non-licensed versions, were basically a complete swipe of Harvey Comics. Yeah. Completely. They even stole the main artist, did they not? I think that's what. He came over. Yep. Yeah, and I think they got their asses sued for making Royal Roy, which is basically a uh, a poor man's Richie Rich. So good for you. That was DeFalco's fault. Now, you, you you do think that Casper is Richie Rich after he died, right? Oh, I never thought of that. Wow. <laughs> that is, uh, wow, that's scary, bro. It is. It is. It's one of those things you just never want to know. But uh, so you read Alf. I love Alf. Huh. What what do you know about Alf? Oh, no. All right. I'll tell the story. <laughs> seeing it's, seeing it's a, a Christmas December episode, I will tell the story. So I had my eyes uh, on this particular toy over Christmas. It was the G.I. Joe Command Center. And, I mean, this thing was huge. Oh, really now, awesome. And it was on clearance at Wolco. Okay. So it was, I think it was 65 bucks. I think it was. That's how much it was at the time, which doesn't seem very clearancy. But anyway... <laughs> Um, my aunt actually ran the mall and she was looking for people to dress up as mascots. So, you know, they, (laughs) at the time, Alf, and this was in 87, Alf was, had just hit the airwaves. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was a damn hot show. Sure. I mean, everybody was watching Alf back in the day. It was, you know, it was on the cover of your TV guides. It was, you know, really, really high publicized, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Elf was everywhere. He was on talk shows, all over magazines, books, everything you name it. Uh, like you go to Burger King, you can get like an Elf record. I mean, this he was oh, yeah. all over the place. So anyway, our mall got a whole batch of costumes. Now they got Cheer Bear from the uh, Care Bears. They had what else did they have? Oh, they had Grover. I was Grover, by the way. I, I could do okay. the near far. <laughs> right, I, I could do that. Now, I would not fit in that anymore because I'd end up looking more like the Cookie Monster instead of Grover right now. <laughs> and then they had the most hideous elf costume you would ever lay your eyes on. I mean, it's 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 one of those where the only eye visor that you had was out through his nose. Okay. So I was crammed in this elf costume. And the only reason that I got to be elf out of all my friends was I could do a very mediocre impression. I could do... <laughs> ha! I kill me. And, you know, hey Willie! <laughs> hey Willie! <laughs> right. I mean, every, everybody had their Elf impression, but luckily, I got I got to do I got to play Elf, and I managed to get my sixty five dollars and buy my GI Joe Command Center. So thank you very much, Elf. You and you and Elf go back a ways, and uh, <laughs> we we should tag him on the show. I'm sure he's still out there somewhere. He can, he um, can move he can move in with the Baileys. <laughs> 
<laughs> we gotta we gotta they, get a Melmac on the line here, right? <laughs> he can bring Rhonda. <laughs> Was that from the cartoon? Uh, well, he brought up Rhonda on the show. He actually oh, okay. had a. Yeah, so it is from the cartoon. Elf, oh, Elf Tales is another whole podcast in that itself. Was, yeah, that was kind of a mess. <laughs> uh, now, back to uh, Mr. DeFalco. He lists his past freelance credits as Amazing Spider-Man, Machine, comma, Man. But we're going to assume that's just Machine Man. Why doesn't anybody see money in Machine Man? My God. You know, oh. I, I remember they tried to actually make Machine Man into an X-Men book around the turn of the century. Oh, they called it X-51 and it. Oh, it yes, actually, I it actually spun out of an X-Men story with uh, the M-Tech line of comics with uh, it was a new Deathlock. There was a, a war warlock, you know, the, the you know, the the phalanx version. Oh, of warlock. boy. Yes. Oh, those were doomed Ugh. to fail from the start. Yuck. Yuck. Now, Mr. DeFalco continues with Firestar, Marvel 2 and 1 and fill-ins galore. His present freelance work includes Thor and the Hawkeye bits in Solo Avengers. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, his hobbies include smoking foul-smelling cigars and eating pizza. Hopefully plant-based. You know, cauliflower. <laughs> cauliflower crust, people. <laughs> I just hope he's not doing them both at the same time. That's <laughs> quite an unpleasant experience. Uh, now, work he's most proud of would be his work with Spider-Man. Now, do you have any, uh, any DeFalco Spidey memories? <laughs> nope <laughs> me neither um his pet peeves include taxes insurance company pushy fans and then most interestingly freelancers who don't bathe regularly Ooh. now this is 1987 any guesses which freelancers he might be talking about that don't bathe regularly i don't know but i always felt that ditko would smell <laughs> <laughs> He was always freelancing and drawing coloring books at this point. And, you know, he was drawing, you know, Chuck Norris for Star Comics. I just, uh, you know, I just feel that he stunk. I don't know why. You know, I, I could think of a lot of current year creators who probably smell, you know, who look a little not so fresh. But I'm trying to think. I, I don't know um, back in the 80s who might have stunk. We might, need to, we might need to reach out to Mr. DeFalco and get him to uh, name some names. I can see Ditko just coming in and saying, <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I, I just don't feel fresh. <laughs> <laughs> well, honey, let me show you some Summer's Eve. <laughs> no. Mr. DeFalco was born in Queens, New York. He lists his oddest habit as he has a secret identity to protect his loved ones. And from that, I can see that he also has some very bad joke telling ability. He, uh, when he asked who would play him in a movie, he says the guy who plays Lieutenant Bunce on Hill Street Blues, <laughs> which is to say Dennis Franz. So it's not the worst casting. No, Dennis Franz always looked like almost like an off brand Danny DeVito to me. I don't know. He was like, <laughs> but he was always convincing as hell in the role as like this, the street level beat cop. Right. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Man. Perfect casting for him. I he think. was. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in high school, people thought Tom was. From a different plane of reality. Ooh. You know, people in high school just thought I was a loser. Maybe I should use Tom's line going forward. You know, <laughs> that'll save me some trouble. Uh, his favorite performers, Gary Shandling. No, stop it. I hated <laughs> Gary Shandling. Oh, I mean, you know what? I love self-aware humor, but Shandling just always came off like a Seth Rollins type of whiny. Just, just I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 
like like there's self-aware humor where you're making social commentary and it's funny because you know truth is funny right but sure shandling just came off as an ass you wanted to punch in the face and of course he was also one of his other famous performers was also madonna yes you know she's living in a material world and i chris am a material girl that's all i'll tell you back then are you keeping the baby <laughs> You Papa, know, don't preach. Did you ever see – there's actually a music video by – who's Danny Aiello was in that video, right? Oh, yes, it was, yep. He actually made a music video as a response to that with like a fake Madonna in it. Oh, man, I wish I could remember what it's called. I, I, I saw it on the Found Footage Festival, and uh, it, it's like he's singing like, you know, Papa just wants the best for you. What? And, and, Oh, oh man, I gotta find this thing. It's a uh, yeah. He's singing like Papa just wants the best for you, and like he's like at a gym punching like a like a like a like a heavy bag, and like he's dreaming, and like his wife is dead, and, and it's like this really crazy story that Danny Aiello actually wrote and had filmed and like distributed. Like he wanted this to be a music video response to that video. Weird. It, it's. It's the craziest thing. I'll have to find it and hopefully link to it because it's it's very Man. strange and, and probably worth seeing. Now, back to DeFalco. Uh, we're going to finally get through DeFalco. Uh, his last good book that he read was uh, Beasts of Valhalla by George C. Chesborough, which I've never heard of. Now, and uh, Listen, he's, he's one of those guys that bring up the book with the big name. <laughs> Well, I read the uh, the dichotomy of society by Lenquisting Ting Tong Ting. <laughs> Infinite yes, Jest by David Foster Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another one is Bang the Drum Slowly by Mark Harris, which another one I've never I I guess I'm not terribly uh, well read. I don't know who those are. Uh, biggest influences on Mr. DeFalco: Edgar Rice Burroughs, Stan Lee, because they all have to say that. Yep, good uh, yes, Ed McBain and Walt Kelly. Now, his greatest unfulfilled ambition in comics is writing Captain America full-time, which, uh, sadly, I don't think he ever gets to do, does he? Ooh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Now, when nobody's looking, Tom DeFalco rereads old comics, which is boring. Uh, <laughs> now, one thing that he really wants the world to know about him is that he's having a really good time, which is also very boring. So uh, <laughs> Yes, and he's been paid to say that. So that's He great. has been paid for both of those words. So I, mean, I love uh, Stan Lee, and I'm having a great time. <laughs> Pay me on Thursday. Thank you. <laughs> I'm holding a newspaper with today's date on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, that'll wrap up our time with Mr. Tom DeFalco. Uh, we do have a Mighty Marvel checklist at the bottom of this bullpen bulletins, where uh, Strike Force Moratory number 10 has... No blurb! No blurb! Which... Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing in this case. Oh God! Thank God. Yeah. They spared. They spared all the civilians from accidentally from buying this book. Man. Yes. Uh, we got New Mutants number fifty-five, where we meet Bird Boy. Ooh. I wonder why Bird that Boy? was. Uh, I wonder why that book was dying in sales at the time. Oh, Bird Boy. That was. Then they called him Bird Brain. He just. Oh, it's just the worst. Yes. The worst stuff. I mean, people talk about like. When Liefeld took over, like just trashing everything that came before it, and it's like, well, you got Bird Boy, so maybe that was that was okay. <laughs> it was so you know, Cable right. Cable's a little cooler than Bird Boy. Uh, even Gideon is cooler than Bird Boy. <laughs> now, <laughs> Captain America number three thirty three. Now, this is where the government finds someone else to wear the Captain America uniform. 
Ah. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, we referenced this in the quote of the month. This is John Walker, of course. This this would probably be the only time uh, that I could think as a comic book fan that I was a Cap fan. Okay. So, uh, you know, I had read it on occasion, but I was never – I never considered myself a, a Capite, you know what I mean? Sure. I always thought of myself who, you know, I wasn't someone who was always hooked by gimmicks, but by God, the who will sell the suit – who will wear the suit story always damn well got my money. I don't care if it was Captain America or Spider-Man. I couldn't wait to find out who was going to wear the Captain America suit. So, you know, I, I dove in, and I stayed for a little while as well. So okay. it got me. It did yeah. its job. I mean that's a that's a good gimmick before it like became the story that they'd force like three or four times a year like yes. they do now where it's like oh well no this person's this person now and no no this person's this person now it's just uh, you know I was this is a little bit before my time uh, so I don't I, I think I have like like three or four copies of that one issue where this happened I think this very issue where it's like Captain America's up against the wall and like the flag is kind of like bleeding behind him yep if, if it's like kind of like on its slant and it's bleeding Love and that. Yeah, and every time I great. see, oh, it's an awesome cover. And every time I see it, I I always forget that I have it, and I always grab it because like, oh, I need that issue. <laughs> and I've got like a stack of them now. It's just ridiculous. Because like you, I I've never really been a long term Captain America reader, so I don't really have that on my little list of gimmicks to you know where I need to fill in holes in a collection. Because did did you say I you were buying books. multiple copies of one issue, Aaron? Uh, Chris. <laughs> My video moving will be on, up. Moving on, moving minutes. on. Let's move on. Let's um, move on. <laughs> we have Amazing Spider-Man Annual number twenty-one. Yes. The copy reads: It's here. It's real, and it's happening now. The wedding of Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. You're invited too. Hey, this is the social event of the season, so don't miss out. Ooh. And I mean, they've been pushing this like I think since we started this show. I think every issue has had something about this, and. uh and I think we've both given our two cents on the spider marriage here, so yep. we can shift to talking about, like, you know, when annuals actually mattered, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My God. Like, we have one, two, we have three other annuals this month with New Mutants Annual 3, West Coast Avengers Annual 2, and Fantastic Four Annual Number 20, and I can pretty much guess nothing happened in those. Well, man, you know what? Annuals used to be somewhat important. I mean, Marvel used them to showcase events like Evolutionary War and Atlantis sure, sure. Attacks and different things like that. Stories actually had consequence for a little while, yep. you know what I mean? Now, of course, the annual, you know, slowly devolved into like a one-off story, and that was mostly not even canon half the time. Yeah. And it would be like an experimental story for like crappy artists or just something to, you know, grab your four ninety nine or however much you paid for oh, it. Yeah. But yeah, – yeah, I don't even understand why. I, I mean, I do understand why they still have annuals. It's you know, it's a way to get money. But uh, they're just they've got no consequence. I mean, I opened up my DCBS bundle uh, just just yesterday as we record this, and there were like three DC annuals in it. I'm like, when did I order? Why did I order these? How are they here? Because like, <laughs> I I just have my pull list, you know, and they just pulled the annuals because it's like it's Batman Annual Four, and it's it's like I don't I, why do why do we have these? Because they don't they don't matter anymore, and uh, like even thinking like back in the 80s and the and even like the late 70s, annuals were like a big deal all throughout. Like at DC, we had like that Superman for the man who has everything. That was in an annual. Yes. Um, over New Teen Titans, the Judas contract concluded in an annual. You know. Right. It's so like, it meant something. It, man. it meant, meant something. something. It was like it was uh, destination reading. Where now it's like, well, here's here's this story by an untested writer writer and an untested artist. 
that has nothing to do with anything. It might as well be on Earth 15 because it doesn't yes. matter. It's just one of one a, of one of Legion of Superheroes greatest runs, the Great Darkness Saga, actually clued up months later, actually in an <laughs> annual, believe it or not. It's it's just weird that. the way they did that. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy and it's just not something that uh, that happens anymore. I don't know I, I you know, I don't know why they don't do that because I mean people are buying them anyway, so you might, might as well <laughs> do it. Uh, but that is all for our bullpen bulletins page and our meeting with Tom DeFalco and our look through the notables and quotables of uh, the mighty Marvel checklist. But we have ads. We've got Ooh, ads. Yes, yes just we do. Just like always here. And uh, one of the things that we're getting a lot here, it's not always TSR, but this time it is TSR. It's the role-playing game ads. We're getting those <laughs> a lot. All right. I got a story for you. Story time, children. <laughs> gather, gather, gather around the fire, everybody. Uh, I got to tell you a story. So this is Dungeons and Dragons based. So okay. I, I'm, I'm a manager. I worked at a retail location, an on-name retailer. Uh, but anyway, one time I hired a gentleman. Now, I'll just call him William for story purposes. Okay. Now, William came to me. Uh, you know, normally I didn't handle or was pretty well hands-off when it came to hiring. But my my um, my HR lady called me one day. She said, Chris, hey. Hey, can you come back to the office for a second? I was like, hmm, this is weird. She said, I would like you to meet William. She said, hey, William, introduce yourself. And I'm thinking, so I look over and it looks like this guy who would, you know, be sitting over in Starbucks with his ponytail and his glasses, mm-hmm. bit of a hipster. You know, one of these guys that you see writing his, uh, his manuscript his over novel, at the Starbucks. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Anyway, so he's sitting and he's crossed his legs and he goes, hi, I'm, I'm William. And I said, well, hello, William. I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. He goes, well, that's an interesting question. He said, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Like normally an interview would start and you would go, hey, you know, I worked here and I did yeah, this. My education so, is here. Yeah. Yeah. My education is here. Nope. He was a Sagittarius. And okay. uh, anyway, my bookkeeper is, she's just dying laughing. And she goes, <laughs> she, she goes, and I'm a Scorpio. He said, well, I guess that means we won't get along. And I could tell right away that this right away that this interview was going south. So anyway, I goes, no, no, just a little bit about, you know, what you do, what you do in your personal life and all that stuff. And he said, well, he said, I'm a 10th level cleric, a divine cleric. <laughs> I said, he said, I'm, and I'm also a LARPer. He said, are you familiar with the term LARPer? And sadly, I was live action role player for those yeah. who don't know. So he asked, this is during the interview, he asked for every Saturday or Sunday off so he can play D&D. Wow. <laughs> well played, William. Anyway, I the interview was going so poorly that I was like, you're hired right away. I was like, I got to have this guy right on my team. I, he's just too interesting to not let go. So anyway, uh, I did hire him. He, and, and he just told me, he, he came out during the interview that he had just got fired from another restaurant. Oh, like, I, I can't understand why. And he, to this day, he's the only guy that I've ever fired twice. How, <laughs> how do you fire someone twice? Well, I was told that uh, <laughs> I was told that uh, to fire him one day because uh, you know he wasn't working out in his department. So I brought him up and I had a conversation and I told him he was fired and he said, really? I can't really wrap my head around why I'm fired. And he said, I don't know if I really had a chance. Anyway, he managed to manipulate me into going, listen, I'll give you one more chance. Here's what I need from you. 
And uh, two days later, even with his 10th level divine cleric status, he could not pull it off. So I brought him up and fired him again. <laughs> did he at least use his healing abilities on you? He, 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 he did not, sadly. And uh, he, uh, he he left. Uh, he shook my hand and he stood up. And uh, I think he cast a curse on me, I think. Uh, mm. Yes, I, think, I, I don't know. I think he had to be like 12th level in order to uh, <laughs> to cure anything it's like oh i got a really bad headache oh well let me gain two more levels and i can help you with that (laughs) oh now another ad we get is the new fantastic four now this uh features the thing human torch crystal and the other ms marvel that is this was a great idea seriously well first that's the other 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 ms marvel so just just to make sure here Uh, you know this is steve Englehart, right yes it is okay because i i know that this like, this was his vision for the Fantastic Four. He wanted to, like, really, really shake it up here. And uh, right as he got his like his feet under him, uh, somebody told him, we need Reed and Sue back. <laughs> so yeah, that's right away, please. <laughs> that's, like, one of the times that he went to, like, that John Harkness pseudonym. Because oh. Engelhart has one of those, uh, you know, he's got one of his uh, pen names that he always goes to when he's really, really unhappy. He's one yeah, of those writers. Yeah. yeah, so he... Uh, he was John Harkness for the end of that run where they uh, <laughs> they bring Reed and Sue back here. You know, I, I I'm okay with them changing characters out here, but it's like uh, I can't imagine who'd <laughs> who'd want to read about the other 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 Ms. Marvel and uh, yeah. just such a disaster. Well, they, right? I mean, they changed it up. I mean, they had the other. Remember, they had the other the she thing and all that stuff. That, well, that is her. That's yeah, her. That's what yeah. I mean. But they 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 devolved her into that character and that. That was so bad. Her visual was so off-putting. I I couldn't even oh, read gross. the book. Yeah. It was yes, it was. It was it literally gross. Yeah. And she, I don't know. I, I I just could not get into this run, and it just seemed like man, you weren't even going for like D level cast. You were going for Z level people here. <laughs> Crystal and Ms. Marvel, horrible. <laughs> I've I've seen like you know they brought in like Storm and Black Panther for a little while, and that was cool. And and She Hulk of course was part of them, and that was cool. Luke Cage I think was in there for a bit, but this just seems. Yeah, I don't know. This is like a statement. <laughs> now we have another ad for, hey, guess what? The spider wedding. Ooh. Yeah, I think well, they're pushing the crap out of this thing. They sure are. We've uh, we've already discussed that. So uh, <laughs> we got another one here. Here come the fudge. Here come the fudge. <laughs> Striped Chips Ahoy. It's an interactive ad, which we always love. Those are our favorites oh, here. Oh, boy. Now, this one comes with a flip book gimmick, so you could cut it out if you wanted to lower this 25-cent book down to a dime. Um, (laughs) Now, the way they demonstrate this flip book is very strange here. They actually cut out each little piece. It's like a little square of paper with, you know, a uh, with a cookie on it with different variations of stripes, you know, different in the in the, you know, motion of being striped, I guess. But rather than just like flipping them, they attach them to a three by five index card first. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like in the bottom right corner so they i guess you can get a better flip on it this feels like they're just playing with you at this point <laughs> and then you attach it to an index card and then put it from strings from the roof yes. and that's oh, just horrible <laughs> and i i hope because like we can include this picture uh, we can put this picture up i hope somebody like maybe prints it out makes a little flip book oh records, please do records himself please flipping do. through it i think that'd be fantastic here but uh yeah, we're both cookie guys, right? I think we both oh. like cookies a lot. Oh my and, god! Uh, you know the striped chips ahoy. Do they do they still make those? 
Uh, not to my knowledge, sir. Not in, not in this neck of the woods, anyway. I don't think so. Because I remember, like, they, they came out with, like, a whole bunch of... Like, there was, like, an explosion in the late 80s. Like, it went from, like, having just Fig Newtons to, like, every single kind of fruit. Oh, yeah. Newton. My God, yes. And then, Absolutely. like, you'd have, you'd have the Chips Ahoy, then it was, like, the chewy ones, then it was, like, the chunky ones, then it was the striped ones, then it was the sprinkle ones. Oh, my God. I love the chewy ones. I could eat a box after box after box of those chewy ones. And the extra chunks? Oh, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yummy. Like, now they're more, like, artisan. You know, it's like they'll do, like, the, the, the toasted coconut variety, you know, where it's, like, uh, well, wah, but, wah, wah. They're, they're, they're pitching more for us as grown-ups rather than us as, as children, I guess, where it's just how, rainbow how, sprinkles. How about this? Get ready for this. Ready for this? Mm-hmm. How about Chips Ahoy with Smarties? No way. Is that a thing that exists? That's your mind-blowing, that, people. Because I know they have them with M&M's. Nope, they don't have them with Smarties, but it needs to be a thing. We need to get you know, Chips Ahoy on board with this. You know, every every Christmas I do make I I don't know if you ever heard of the uh, the Neiman Marcus $250 cookie, have you? No, hell no. Okay, now this is the story goes, I don't know if it's a true story or not or if it's just internet lore. A woman was shopping at Neiman Marcus, which is a high-end department store. Uh, I don't know if it's in Canada as well, but uh, here it's a, a very high-end department store. You can get like a $15,000 purse in there if you wanted. Nice. Um, so like they have a little restaurant or an eatery or a cafe or something, and a woman there, she bought some cookies. And she loved these cookies so much that she said, can I have the recipe? I'd like to buy the recipe. And they're like, well, that'll be two fifty. And she assumed it was $2.50. It was not. She got home, checked a credit card statement, and they charged her $250 for this cookie recipe. Holy snap. Yeah, and so as a way of getting back at Neiman Marcus, she published it online. And uh, and I've been using this this uh, same recipe for years now, and it is the best damn chocolate chip cookie I've ever made. Oh, you have to publish it. I will. I will. I will include it because it is just the most amazing cookie. I actually just made them for Thanksgiving. And I, since I am on a diet, I, I limited myself to just, you know, a couple handfuls rather than the entire thing. <laughs> but, uh, I could see throwing some Smarties in the next batch. I do oh still have God. a tube of Smarties that I could, uh, I could throw in the Christmas, uh, the Christmas, uh, uh Neiman Marcus cookies. And we can see how that oh goes. Oh my God. The crossing of the streams. It's too dangerous. <laughs> it might be too dangerous. I might not make it the year. So, uh, <laughs> But you know, speaking of years, oh, hmm, nice segue. Uh, 1987 was the year of the reader. Oh and my god! We did god. mention earlier uh, the cover of this issue has that little logo claiming proclaiming 1987 to be the year of the reader, and that of course was where the UPC code of the Spidey head would normally be. So, <laughs> what the hell is the year of the reader? You want to clue us in from uh, the Los Angeles Times? Well, the Los Angeles Times, in February 24th, 1987, designated a article called The Year of the Reader. Congress has officially designated 1987 as the Year of the Reader with a new law that aims at restoring reading to the place of preeminence in our personal lives and in the lives of the nation. <laughs> now, not all that uh, that important note, word yeah. restoring. Yes, note. All, all the uh, important word restoring. <laughs> that was going on there. Uh, um, what it recognizes is that reading skills and habits have steadily been declining and now are badly in need of promotion among young and old alike. So, you know, in 1978, for example, 75% of Americans 21 
uh, and younger read books in 1983. She took a little bit of a dip with only mm-hmm. 63% now reading. Wow. Yep. What were you people doing? <laughs> yeah, they said there was uh, too much competition for our leisure time. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I could see that, too. I mean, well, I mean, you talk about the uh, the Internet and, you know, phones and all that stuff occupying our time. Ain't nobody reading books now. <laughs> I'd, oh. I'd, I'd love to see the, uh, the percentage today. But oh, private man. organizations around the country are involved in the Year of the Reader, focusing on part of what social scientists now call a literacy, uh, referring to the loss of reading skills and interest by those who can't read, who can read, but don't. Just people mm-hmm. who just don't give a crap. I ain't reading. No, <laughs> get that out of my face. Yeah. What is, what is this book? Does it have any pictures? <laughs> Where's my Nintendo? Yes. Now, the initiative was apparently a success, though, you know, we can't find any hard data, we'll say, to back that up. <laughs> and uh, from it spun out 1989's Year of the Young Reader. Oh my God, mm-hmm. this keeps getting better. It now, does. per the Los Angeles Times, in March 5th, 1989, inspired the successful 1987 Year of the Reader program. The Young Reader Project seizes also on the growing awareness of literacy problems faced by many young Americans. A high school diploma is no guarantee of reading skills, since in some areas, nearly half of a graduating class may be borderline illiterate. Mm-hmm. One study even cited the uh, Library of Congress, and they found that fewer than half of the 17-year-old kids surveyed could comfortably even read a newspaper. Yep, and those are written at, what, like, third or fifth grade level? Crazy. Yeah, that's pretty wild stuff here. So, uh, A-literacy was a big deal here, and uh, I, I don't think it's gotten any better since. I, I, I don't know that the, uh, the year of the reader was so successful that we're still feeling the benefits of it some 30 years later. But nope, uh, I guarantee you, brother. You know, there are other programs that were used to spur on reading in our, in our youth, uh, including Riff. Reading is fundamental. Do you remember any, uh, any Riff memories? I, you know what? I don't. I, oh, wait a sec. Yes, I do. My God, yes. <laughs> so that, was, that was the, uh, wasn't it the cat? Well, you'd have like a, you'd like, I remember like in in my school, they would just put like a bunch of books that nobody wanted in the, uh, in like yes. the lunchroom. Yes, absolutely. They, yeah, like, they would do that as well. Yeah. And like, you'd go and you'd be able to pick one book and it was, it was never like, like I remember growing up, I loved like those, those like long Garfield collections, you know, oh like. Oh my the, God, I love those. Yeah, so, like, you'd be, like, all excited because, like, oh, it's all the stuff that's on the Scholastic Weekly Reader, whatever the hell, ordering thing. They, they, they're, like, oh, those are the books that are there. So, like, I remember, like, the night before Riff Day, I'd be, like, oh, I'm going to get this Garfield book, and it'd be great. They don't have that <laughs> Garfield book there. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, they had the, uh, you know, the dichotomy of society. <laughs> <laughs> or they'd have, like, a Garfield book, but it would just be, it would be, like, a prose, like a like a young reader prose novel uh, of Garfield. It's yuck. like, eh, I don't want to read that. Garbage. But uh, <laughs> another thing that I, that I remember somewhat vividly, I don't know if it's a Mandela effect or not, but I do remember this, uh, the Ritasaurus. Ooh. Now, the Rita source was, was that. Yes, it was sort of a touring bookmobile concept from Youth Plus Project Literacy US. So Youth Plus Plus, I guess. P-L-U-S. <laughs> U-S, yeah. I can't even spell it. Now, I remember seeing these commercials uh, in the morning before school. 
like they'd have these commercials telling us like where the Redosaurus was in its tour. And uh, the story goes, as reported by Spencer Christian of ABC's Good Morning America, in 1988, a large egg was discovered in the snowbanks of Alaska. Now, this egg was taken to the dino labs of Dr. Smith and Zonian, which I'm going to guess is like a riff on Smithsonian. Maybe <laughs> one would assume <laughs> one would hope. Now, they shook the hell out of the thing. And th- there's actually footage of this. There's the, the commercials where like these like zany doctors are shaking the hell out of this egg. And uh, <laughs> and by shaking it, they were able to deduce that inside it was a Ritosaurus. What the hell is a Ritosaurus? Well, we go to our friend Spencer Christian, who says a Ritosaurus is a dinosaur that has survived all these millions of years because it could do one thing. Read. <laughs> Perfect. The thing is what still in an egg. How, how is it surviving? It's in an egg. It hasn't I hatched guess, yet. I guess there's nothing else to do inside the egg, Chris, but read. What's that Groucho line where it's like your your best friend outside of a book is a dog because it's too dark to read inside a dog or something like that? I, <laughs> I don't know. But now, now th- this thing hasn't hatched, but it definitely will. Now, this is kind of like Tinkerbell. You know, you have to believe in it for it to happen. And uh, this will hatch. Only if kids will read as the egg travels throughout these United States. Ooh. So it's going to travel all the way from Alaska to a grassy spot near the Potomac, Pot- Pot- Potomac River, which uh, we're guessing is probably right around Washington, D.C., where this was going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we were able to track the egg for the first week. I couldn't find any more of the commercials, but I did find the first one. Uh, the first week, it started in Anchorage, Alaska. The next day, it was in Seattle, Washington. The next day it was in San Diego, California. The following day it was in where I'm currently living, Phoenix, Arizona. And then it went to Denver, Colorado. And we would assume that it did make its way to the uh, to Washington, D.C. My God, books are plenty. Books everywhere. Now, as reported in Education Week on April 13, 1988, the Redosaurus Project had an estimated budget of $1.4 million dollars. And uh, that's around $3 million in today's American dollars. Holy cow. You might be wondering, did the egg ever hatch? Because we couldn't find any footage of the egg having hatched. Oh, my but... God. All this trouble, $3 million later, and this <laughs> damn thing didn't – like even a gobbledygooker, for God's yes, sake. this is kind of what it was. It was kind of like a gobbledygooker. But it did indeed hatch because per the Los Angeles Times – I used up all of my free articles on Los Angeles Times this week. <laughs> <laughs> I had to change browsers a couple times because it's like, no, 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 you pay now. It's like, no, I'm not. Uh, Did you find it on microfiche? I wish I did. I wish I did. There actually was stuff that looked like microfiche in the Google image search for the Redosaurus, but I couldn't read it. It was too blurry. Um, Now, Los Angeles Times, December 2nd, 1988. The story is called Mrs. Bush Rises to the Occasion. (laughs) And it reads, Mrs. Bush, which is, of course... Barbara Bush, oh, right, uh, then, right. then Vice President George Bush's wife. She had an animated chat with Rex and Rita Ritasaurus. Oh, so these were the actual hatching. Yes, they were twins. And uh, oh. we find out that these puppets, or dinosaurs, if you will, were hatched at the National Zoo in May to promote the National Reading is Fundamental program. God bless them. Whatever happened to Rex and Rita? Who knows? They might be in a star comic somewhere. Well, I, I, if they if their life depends on kids reading, I'd say they're long dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's they've got the Rex and Rita Ritasaurus app right now. And it's all video. I love it. <laughs> it's video of finger families. That's all it is. Kids, I think the moral of this story is every, all kids need to be imprisoned in eggs to read without their <laughs> without their electronic devices. How about that? There's no Wi-Fi inside an egg. So this this kids is a book. You read it with your eyes and mind. <laughs> oh, now, before we let you guys loose for the day, we do have one piece of news. Do you want to fill them in on Ooh. the news? Well, well, we talked about earlier, we had our membership drive, and, you know, you could be part of the uh, the whole cast and all that stuff of our storylines. Well, we got one better for you. If you are a fan of Wizard Magazine, you'll remember something called Casting Call. Mm-hmm. Well... Chris did some fantastic work, and you guys got to see this. This actually, it's on, it's on Twitter, and we'll you'll share it in the links, I guess. Mm-hmm. We are actually casting call, doing a casting call for Wave One of Strike Force Moratori. Mm-hmm. So you, our faithful listener, can actually help us out in casting Strike Force Moratori the movie. Now, who are you casting? You're casting for Harold, Robert, Aileen, Lorna. Uh, who else Lewis. we got? Lewis, Jaylene, Jaylene. I mean, I, I listen, I've already gone through and I have my picks and I'll, I'll definitely reveal those down the road, but what an opportunity guys jump on board. Let us know your picks and let us know who you want to be. Strike force moratory. This is going to be a good one, Chris. I think this is going to be a lot of fun and, uh, hopefully together with all, uh, with all the crew, we can, we can put together one kick-ass strike force moratory film. And, uh, this might be a trilogy. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people coming and going. So, uh, <laughs> oh yes, we're gonna we're gonna be playing with this for a little while. But uh, I think that's about all we got for you today. We uh, definitely appreciate you hanging out and uh, uh, enduring cats with us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of fun outside of cats. We did, we did, and even and even just uh, ragging on that was uh, was a lot of fun too. We don't we don't get to do that very often here because the books have been just so damn good. So it's <laughs> it's a bit of a novelty when it's not and. Uh, and what are you gonna do? But uh, you wanna you wanna give some plugs? Sure. So if you want to find my retro ramblings or anything else Chris Bailey related, <laughs> uh, you can find me on the old Twitterscape at Charlton underscore Hero. You can also find me on my own personal blog, which I plan on updating. I swear to God, I am <laughs> not a daily blogger like uh, like Mr. Chris Sheehan. So if you want actual work and someone with work ethic, you'll go see him. Uh, but my my blog, if you do want to check it out, is called The Superhero Satellite. Give that a little Google, jump on, and uh, enjoy some fun 80s conversations about toys, comics, movies, you name it. If I grew up with it, I talk about it. And that's mm-hmm. me, Chris Beautiful. Sheehan. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Ace Comics. You can find me at a few places online. That's uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths, where... Uh, Despite uh, my my better uh, my better judgment, I'm still daily blogging. Even though the Action Comics daily project is over, I'm now looking at Christmas comics because uh, well, I'm an idiot and I, I have addiction <laughs> Brother, problems. Congratulations and, uh, on that. Thank you. I mean, I'm taking my hat off to you. I can barely <laughs> I can barely bang out a post a month, and this guy did it every single day on Action Comics Weekly. Holy crap, how did you do it? I have no idea. <laughs> but, sir, I salute you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you can also find me at chrisandreggie.com, where you can find all of our show notes and links to every show we do here. Um, there might be another 
another website coming pretty soon. It, it all depends if I want to spend the extra twelve dollars a year to uh, to keep it. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more as we uh, as we come closer to it. We do have some more projects in the works. Uh, some uh, maybe a little too ambitious, but we will find out together. Um, but I think that is all we've got for you this week. Uh, do you have anything else for the fine listeners? Nope, I got nothing else but going down in a blaze of glory like John Bon Jovi, just like the <laughs> Black Watch. That's how we're ending this one, baby. Take yes. us home, Christopher. <laughs> so we want to thank you once more for uh, so, so much for hanging out with us today. And uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs>